thank you for coming out on a very cold and uh, somewhat snowy, windy day out there. I hope you're blessed by the time that we have in the Word here this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, if you weren't with us last week, because last week was also cold and snowy and kind of a rough day. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of that message. We talked about Jesus in the wilderness and the temptations that he went through and just the importance of God's word, the importance of realizing not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, the importance of prayer and fasting. You know, we talked about that passage in James where it says, resist the devil and he will flee. How do we resist the devil? Well, last week Jesus showed us how we resist the devil through prayer, through fasting, through God's word. Now that that season of temptation and testing is over, we see Jesus now beginning his his ministry. And he begins his ministry in Galilee and we start seeing him calling his first disciples. And I hope that we can relate to this because we are called to be his disciples as well. And that word disciple is such an interesting word. We've really been talking about that for the last couple years out here. The word disciple, it's who we are, but it's also something we do. I am a disciple, and I also disciple people. That's what you are. You are a disciple of Christ, I hope, and also part of your goal is to disciple people. Matthew 28, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. Bring God the glory by pointing people towards Jesus Christ. So what you see here this morning is Jesus starting to call his disciples. And what an interesting group it is. So let's start right in this. Matthew 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light is dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Real quick, John being thrown into prison. We're going to get to that later. There's more detail in Matthew 11 and Matthew 14. So if you just want to make a little note of that, we'll get to that here in the next few weeks as we get to Matthew 11 and Matthew 14. But we see Jesus beginning this ministry in Galilee. Now, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, as you look at that, you're going to see Galilee is not really close to Jerusalem. It's much farther to the north. It's kind of interesting that Jesus would go to Galilee to do this. We can tell by the scriptures and also just from history, Galilee was a very rough area. Now, if you're a good Jew, you live as close as you can to Jerusalem. That's where the temple's, right? Galilee's on the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, it's kind of hinted at here a little bit in C. Look at verse 15. Galilee of the Gentiles. This region of Galilee had a much more Gentile influence, a much more Roman influence. It was a tough group of people. And also what you see here in verse 16, they're sitting in darkness. Now that's where Jesus goes. Do you realize things haven't changed in 2,000 years? We're looking for the people sitting in darkness. We joke out here all the time, we want to be missionaries to the upper middle class. Really what we need to be missionaries to are the people sitting in darkness that don't know Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We see Jesus setting the example. He leaves his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to this region of Galilee. And not only goes there to minister, he goes there to get his people. This is where he gets his cream of the crop apostles. It's from Galilee, the wrong side of the tracks. Why doesn't he stay in Nazareth? Verse 13. Well, let's find out with this a little bit here. Can you go with me real quick to Luke 4? We made reference the other day. The other Sunday, I should say this, but Luke 4. Keep your hand here in Luke 4 and 5. We're going to be making a lot of references back to it. Why doesn't he stay in Nazareth? Well, in Luke 4, we see why Jesus left Nazareth. Verse 16, 
of Luke 4. So he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now let's just stop here for a second. This is his hometown. Everybody knows him. This is Joseph's son. So he's at the synagogue. They hand him the book. He gets to read. He's about 30 years old at this time. This is no big deal. This is Jesus. So let's see, read verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You've got to realize what he just did there. The people that he's known for three decades. He says, guys, this is me. I am the Messiah. I am the one that the Spirit of the Lord is upon. I am the one that is anointed to do this. Do you realize how hard that was for them? Verse 22. All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? They couldn't get past that point. I have realized, I sometimes feel the hardest people... To really share your faith with are the people who have known you forever, especially your friends and family. It really is difficult. And I've heard many of your testimonies. You guys get saved. You go home. The most exciting thing in the world has happened to you. Christ has saved you out of the depths of hell. So you go home to mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or friends or brothers and sisters. You're so excited. Look what God has done in my life. I understand who Jesus is. Oh, that's nice. I'm happy for you. Or maybe it's anger. Maybe it's frustration. See, with Jesus, they could not handle the fact that this is Jesus. Now, this is the guy we used to go play hide-and-go-seek with. How is he the Messiah? What is going on? So, he tries in verses 23 through 27 to try to explain this and talk about Old Testament and how they won't accept this and the prophet is without honor in his hometown. Well, what do they want to do? Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, and they might throw him down over the cliff. And passing through the midst of them, he went away. Real quick point that you can make out of this. Be prepared for rejection. This morning I got up and I looked up every time the word rejected is used in the New Testament. Be prepared for rejection. In fact, you're probably going to be rejected more for your faith than you're going to be accepted. Jesus made it very clear. He says, if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. See, in this world we live in today, everybody is really okay with an ambiguous God. If I just say, God loves you, people are really okay with that. I will pray for you. God cares for you. Ambiguous is okay. But as soon as we start mentioning Jesus, that there's a heaven and that there's a hell... And that the sin that we have in our lives keeps us out of heaven and we're destined to hell. And the only way to get out of hell is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That's not ambiguous. All of a sudden now, that's pretty straightforward. All of a sudden we're now saying that the Hindus and the Muslims, etc. aren't walking right. Okay, that's now divisive. Prepare for rejection. But this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, do not think I came to bring peace to this world, not peace but a what? Sword. 
He says, I bring division to this world because I make people choose between heaven or hell. I make people choose between saved or not saved. I make people choose between a moral life or an immoral life. So just as Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth by the people that probably loved him. If you were growing up in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, you would want Jesus to be your neighbor. He would always be willing to help. He was a really nice guy, I bet. Just an all-around great guy. But now we have to take the jump from great guy, great neighbor, Joseph's son to Messiah. Now I reject that. So they rejected him at Nazareth, and that is why now he goes to Galilee. And just as Jesus was rejected, we have to realize we're going to be rejected. We're going to be rejected. But it's our job, our responsibility, not to worry about the rejection, but to what? Just keep planting seeds. Think of how simple God has made it. Our life is really just out there planting seeds for people. I don't know who I'm going to run into today or this week, but when I do, I want to represent Jesus Christ to them. Are some going to reject that seed? You bet. Some people are going to reject it more forcibly than others. But it's still our responsibility to just get the seed out there. Because why? We're called to be lights. Look here at verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. But we're called to, to be this light of the world. Now, just, just follow this. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Okay? Then in John 12, he says, but the light is leaving you. But then in Matthew 5, he says, you're the light of the world. So he was the light of the world. Then he says, the light is leaving, and now I leave you as being the light of the world. That's what we're called to do. So anywhere I go... Anybody who I run into, be it at work, at home, or at school, I am shining light for Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds real simple. Problem is darkness does not like light. Can you go with me to John 1, please? John 1. In fact, darkness runs from light. I'm still called just to plant seeds, though. John 1. And you never know what those seeds are going to do and how they're going to take off. You never know. In all the years I've been walking with the Lord, people I've witnessed to, there's people that I've shared the faith with that I thought they're going to get it. And it's just going to click. They never got it. There's people I've shared with that I thought, I I don't even know why I'm talking to them. And they're the ones that got it. We were telling this story just the other day, years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago. I got a phone call late at night. It was from a guy. Never met him. Has never been out here to church. He was the friend of a friend of a friend type person. Got my phone number. Called. And he said, uh, you know, this is Pastor James. I said, yeah. He goes, somebody said to call you. And I said, what's going on? He goes, because I want to kill myself. So one of the first questions you're supposed to ask is, okay, you want to kill yourself. How? What what are you you planning on doing? You know, basically you're saying, how serious is this? You know, you're not really saying that, but you're just trying to figure out. Is it one of those where, I don't know, I just don't feel like living anymore, or is it like I'm sitting here with a gun in my hand? So he goes, I, I have a knife in my hand. I said, okay. I said, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to put this knife through my chest, in my heart. I said, okay. What type of knife? It's a butter knife. Now, don't laugh. This isn't funny, people. I said, you have a butter knife. Okay. And you're going to shove the butter knife through your chest. Yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is going to take about six months, you know, to get this done. We talk, share the Lord, ends up praying, accepting Christ, right? I get off the phone, Dawn's like, what was that? I said, I don't even know what that was, Dawn. 
I said, it's this guy, I, he was all worked up, I don't know, he was going to kill himself, now he's not. He says he's accepted Christ, I, I think he would have accepted a draft at that time if I said a draft could save you from your sins. He was just so out there. Guy shows up a month later at church, born again, walking with the Lord, that day changed my life, the Holy Spirit's moving, it's like, oh my, Lord, you are so big. You are so big. And it's just like, Lord, I don't even realize what you're doing. I'm just scattering seed. I don't know if that's going to grow or not. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I'm going to scatter it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to plant it. And I'm just going to pray for it. And then whatever happens, happens. Because I'm called to be a light. Now, why is that so difficult? Because once again, darkness does not like light. Look here at John 1, verse 4. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness just doesn't even get it. Have you ever been talking to someone about the Lord? And as you're just talking to them, and maybe it's not even just hardcore evangelism, you're just talking to them about moral truths in life. And as you're talking to them, they just don't get it. It's like it just doesn't even make sense to them. The darkness does not comprehend it. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 6, same chapter. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came. That's John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, and all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That is our job, to bear witness of the light. Our job is to point people towards Christ. Why is that so difficult to do? Stay in John. Go to John 3, please. John 3, pick it up in verse 19. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. That's the struggle we have, folks. People are in sin, and they like it. People are in darkness, and they like it. And maybe it's not that they like it, but they don't want the light shining on them. Darkness hates light. And there's people walking and living in darkness. They're doing whatever they can to stay out of the light. When you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you want the lights off. No one hears, no one sees, no one knows. The other day, uh, there was a lot of noise going on in the boys' room when I put them to bed. So I walked into the hallway that goes in the room. They could hear me coming in. And they said, Dad, don't turn the light on. Now listen, if someone tells me not to turn the light on, I'm flipping the light on, okay? Because if you could have seen what I heard, I don't know. I said, I'm flipping the light on. No, Dad, not yet. Darkness does not like light. Those who are practicing evil do not like light. And so what happens is when somebody is in the darkness of life and you come up to them, you're thinking, oh, they're going to love me. Because I'm bringing the words of salvation. I'm bringing the words of light. I'm going to take them out of this dark hole and I'm going to be with them and point them. They sometimes don't even want to talk to you. They'd rather stay in the darkness. Because when the light comes in, the light reveals. It reveals. Oh, man. So what happens is when we're called to be the light of the world, we go into darkness. The darkness doesn't want us. So when I look back here in Matthew chapter 4 and I see Jesus going to Galilee, why did he go to Galilee? Because these people are sitting in darkness. And they need the light, a great light that's come to them. And this fulfills the prophecy of Jesus coming and doing this. And what's the great message that Jesus gives them in verse 17? Repent. Repent. 
Now, that's not a real popular word in the church today. Because if you have to repent, that means you're doing something wrong. Repent literally means to do a 180. You go the complete opposite direction. I'm heading straight into hell, and I repent. I turn my spiritual car around through what Jesus Christ has done for me. By grace, I have been saved, and I repent. I go the complete opposite direction. Or maybe even as a believer, you're walking into this mountain of sin. Repent. Change direction. Go the opposite way. But it means to do a 180. See, a lot of times as believers, we repent by just, just changing a little bit. I'm not going to go to the peak of the mountain of sin. I'm just going to hang out on the side of it. No, do the complete 180. And this word repent is used all the time. I, I brought up this point a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. This is out of a commentary I read where it says, The call to repentance is important and must not be neglected. It is entirely accurate to say that it is the first word of the gospel. The first word of John the Baptist's gospel in Matthew 3, repent. The first word of Jesus' gospel in Matthew 4, repent. The first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 in Mark 6, repent. The first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave his disciples at his resurrection, repent in Luke 24. The first word of encouragement in the first Christian sermon in Acts 2, repent. And the first word in the mouth of the apostle Paul in his ministry in Acts 26, repent. There's an ongoing theme there, people. People need to repent. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Sin sends you to hell. We need to repent. And so Jesus coming and saying, I am here to be a light in the darkness. The same ministry is for us. We're called to be a light in the darkness and to expel the darkness out through the light of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. And the way Jesus went about doing this is through the disciples. Verse 18, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, that's kind of an interesting story. It's just kind of you have this picture of Jesus walking along by the sea. He sees Andrew and Peter and says, hey, just follow me. And they just stop what they're doing and follow. James and John, hey, follow me. Now, we know from putting the Gospels together that these, some of these guys were disciples of John. John the Baptist and John 1. So they had already had met and known Jesus. In fact, in John 1, John the Baptist is telling his disciples, quit following me and follow Jesus. If you remember correctly, when we did our study on John the Baptist a few weeks ago, that's why we said John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Because his sole purpose was just to point people towards Christ. And that's what you see John doing. John's like, don't follow me, follow him. That's the one you're supposed to follow is Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be pointing people towards Christ. So they already knew Jesus a little bit. But there's a little bit more to the story. I asked you to keep your hand there in Luke. So let's look at Luke 5. So what happens here in Luke 5? So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear, verse 1, Luke 5, the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, we just read about him in uh, Matthew 4, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So you see a little bit more of the story of what's going on. Let's make a couple points out of this. First things first. Anything, anything you do for the Lord will never be forgotten. Jesus borrows Simon's boat for just a little bit. And then what happens in verses 4 and 5? He gets paid in fish. God will never owe you. Will never owe you. If you're willing to do something for the Lord, He will always bless and take care of you. He will. Now be careful with that word blessed. This is not go out and buy lottery tickets blessed. Okay, This is what this is. The Lord will always meet your needs and take care of you. Sometimes the blessing is peace in the home. Sometimes the blessing is just that time in devotions where it's just like, wow, Lord, this is you and me. I get this. I see this. But the point is, if you're willing, if you're willing to give everything you have over to the Lord and say, Lord, it is yours, not mine. Use me. Use it. God will always take care of you. Simon, let me borrow your boat. I'm going to pay you back in fish. What a wonderful deal. Number two, next point. Let God not make sense. This doesn't make any sense. Verse 4, launch your launch down to the deep and let down your nets. You know, good old Peter, can't keep his mouth shut. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Let God not make sense. This doesn't make any sense on why they would go out and try this again. And I have really learned in my walk with the Lord, sometimes the things that make the least amount of sense is where the Lord wants to move the most. Remember in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For my ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. God says, you have to trust me that when I don't make sense, it still makes sense. It doesn't make sense that God wanted to use 80-year-old Moses to take Israel out of Egypt. It doesn't make sense that they could part the Red Sea or part the Jordan. We can go down the list. It doesn't make sense that the shepherd boy is killing the giant like David did. In fact, Christianity as a whole doesn't make sense. We believe that God came down in the form of a man that was born to a virgin, and then he lived 33 years, died on the cross, and rose again, and then leaves us with God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Okay, To the non-believing world, that doesn't make sense. So let God not make sense and just trust Him. Just do it. Just obey and trust. What else are we called to do as disciples? Let's put this all together. We're called to go into Galilee. We're called to go into those regions of darkness that no one wants to go. We're called to be a light because light expels darkness. We're the light of the world. That was our second point. Number three, we're called to point people towards Jesus. Just like John the Baptist said, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. We point people towards Jesus. And they were also called right here to be willing to let go of our items, our possessions, our lives, and say, Lord, you will always take care of us. Now we're called to let God not make sense. Now, I think all of us hearing those first five points are like, okay, I can do this. This is where it gets really hard, though, now, people. Because look at verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Stay in Luke 5, jump ahead to verse 27. After these things, he, meaning Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Now keep your hand here in Luke 5. We're coming back to it, but jump back to Matthew 4. 
What else details do we read? Well, in Matthew 4, verse 20, immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Do you ever realize when people start following Jesus in the Bible, they're leaving things behind? They're always leaving something behind. Because when you're called to be a disciple and a follower of Christ, sometimes that means you've got to let go of things that you're clinging to really hard. Now, think about this from the fisherman's point of view. Their nets are their livelihood. You can't be a fisherman without a net. So by them leaving their nets behind, they're leaving behind their old life, their old occupation. They're leaving behind all of that to say, Christ, I'm just going to follow you. By leaving behind their father. Now, I'm not saying that Zebedee was a bad guy. We don't know. But they were willing to leave behind relationships for the Lord. Now, be careful with that. That doesn't mean that once you get saved that you look at the non-believing world and say, I can't speak to you. No, but what it's saying is this. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Sometimes in your walk with Christ, there are relationships from the past that are not helpful. They are not encouraging. They are not edifying. And sometimes you need to stop and say, Lord, you have called me to leave that relationship behind because I'm moving forward in you. Now, can we forsake all for the gospel? Now, let's just be completely straightforward with this. This is why we're doing communion here at the end. Are you willing to open up those closets in your life that no one else knows about or sees? Are you willing to get out all that old junk, that closet, and say, Lord, I'm, really, I'm willing to let it go? I'm really willing to let it go, Lord. I'm not going to cling on to anything in this world. I'm not going to hold on to anything in this world. I'm going to let this all completely go and forsake everything. Look at those wordings. Forsake everything. Forsake all. And when do you do it? Immediately. Immediately. See, the flip side to this teaching is the time where Jesus told the people, follow me, and they had the three men with the three excuses. First, let me go bury my father. I got people in my house. Let me say goodbye to them. I bought some land. Let me take a look at it. Hey, listen, there's always a reason and excuse not to go deeper in Christ. There is. But when we see Simon, Andrew, John, and James, and Matthew, we see a willingness to say, I'm going to let it all go. Sometimes it's something physical. You need to let that physical thing go. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's an intangible thing that's keeping you from going deeper in the Lord. Unforgiveness, unloved, what have you, bitterness. I'm going to let it all go. And I'm going to repent. See, this is where we got to get really serious. I'm going to repent because by me holding on to it, I'm going to drive my spiritual car right into that mountain of sin. I'm going to repent and let go and give it all over to the Lord. And what's the last point that we're supposed to do then? Luke 5, please. Well, verse 28 of Luke 5, Matthew left all, rose up, followed him. What are you supposed to do after you leave all and follow Jesus? Verse 29, you're supposed to have a party. Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. See, once you forsake all, I'm following Christ, I'm giving him everything, your life becomes one big party, and every day you're just inviting people to meet Jesus at the party. That's really what it is. Every day I run into people, hey, do you want to meet Jesus? Having a little party. Why don't you come meet him? I just want to introduce you to Jesus. And that's exactly what people are doing. See, in John 1, Andrew brought Simon and says, you've got to meet Jesus. And then later on in John 1, Philip brings Nathaniel and says, you've got to meet Jesus. Matthew here in Luke 5, guys, you've got to meet Jesus. Isn't that what it is? From, from this point forward in our lives, we are called to be lights and witnesses 
And really, aren't we just supposed to, for the rest of our lives, say, hey, you've got to meet Jesus? How simple is that? Bring it all together. Be willing to go to Galilee, the darkness. Next one, be the light, the light that expels darkness. Be willing to let the Lord use you or whatever you have in whatever way possible. He'll always pay you back. Don't worry about that. Point people to Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Let God not make sense in your life. It doesn't make any sense to throw the net over on that side. I don't know why I would do that, Lord, but I'm going to do it. And let God bless you. Now, this is where it gets hard. Be willing to forsake all. Be willing to leave the nets. Be willing to leave the relationships. Be willing to do those things where the Lord says, let it go. And then lastly, have a party every day of your life and invite people to meet Jesus. Because what happens is when you are so touched by what Christ has done for you, you can't help but let other people know about what he's doing in your life. You know, here's the thing about evangelizing, about sharing your faith. You can't be passionate about sharing Christ with others until you're passionate yourself about knowing Christ. See, if you're really not passionate about knowing Christ, why are you going to be willing to tell others about him? You have to reach a point where you stop and you say, Lord, I love you. And since I love you, I want other people to know what's going on in my life and what you're doing. That's what it means to proclaim the gospel. Just let me tell you about what he's doing in my life. And like Betsy said here, coming up on the 30th, a lot of times people come up to me and say, how do I do that? What does that look practically? Well, let's come and talk about that the 30th. This is what it means to be spirit-led and sharing your faith. Some of you may be saying, okay, I want to be the follower. I want to be the disciple. What does that look like, though? Okay, I'm willing to leave my nets. I'm willing to leave it all. What am I supposed to do now? Well, if you've been with us here the last few weeks, we started at the beginning of the year. We're doing 40 days of praying and fasting over different topics on what the Lord is calling you as an individual and what the Lord is calling us as a church. And if you've been following along with us this week of prayer, the verses are knowing your calling in the Lord. It's a great week to take one of those sheets on the back and pray and fast over those verses saying, Lord, what have you called me to do? What is my calling? What, what is my calling to be a light? What does that look like? Because I'm telling you, if you don't know what the Lord is calling you to do, your life really just starts to become a little blah. It's just the same old, same old again and again. And when you really know what the Lord is calling you to do, all of a sudden there's this divine, eternal purpose where you say, I get it now. I get it. This is why I'm here. Take those verses. Read over and pray over them this week. I'm not saying that the Lord is all going to sudden this week say, here it is. But you're opening the door for his spirit to move and speak in your life. To say, I'm now keeping that one eye open to say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And not only me as an individual, what do you want us to do as a church? And not even us as a church. What is my family called to do? What is my spouse and I called to do? What are my friends and I called to do? Because we're the body of Christ. And it's not about these four walls. It's about making sure people come to know Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And the great way to end it is, just like Matthew the tax collector, let's just have a party and invite people to come to know Christ. Now, we're going to get ready to do communion here. And if you want to go back and get the kids for communion. One of the aspects of communion in 1 Corinthians is this idea of repenting. Is this idea of repenting. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me, 11, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We mentioned that word, repent. Today is the day of salvation. 
today's the day to stop and say, Lord, if I don't know you, I want to know you today. Because there is a heaven, there is a hell. That is a reality. Jesus did die on the cross for your sins. That is a reality. The only currency accepted in heaven to pay for your sins is the blood of Christ. That is a reality. Now, am I going to believe that or not believe that? If you're here this morning and you're walking with the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to open up those closets in the back of your life that you don't want anybody to see or know about. I cannot tell you enough. Forsake all. Be willing to let it all go. Everything. The tangible, the intangible. Let today be a fresh start, a new start, a new creation in the Lord. Psalm 139 says, Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. Search us, show us, Lord. Take us deeper in you. We repent, we examine our lives, and we say, Lord, move in our lives. Because as we get ready to partake of communion, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. It's the closest we can get to the foot of the cross, to really just stop and focus on Christ. But before we focus on Christ, he does ask us, examine yourself. Now, here at Harvest, we have an open communion policy, which means we don't have church membership. Anybody here, you're welcome to join us. We bring in the older classrooms. We let them sit with the parents, and we leave it up to you parents if they know if they're old enough to grasp and understand what communion is. But before we partake of that, we need to examine. That's what his word says, and let's do that. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. Turn the light on in our closets right now, Lord. Open those doors up that we don't want anybody to see. Help us to really understand what it means to repent. If there's someone here this morning that has never known you personally, I pray that right now you're showing them what a real relationship with you is. Lord, if there's someone here today that does know you, but their closet is full of stuff, help them to forsake all, to let it go completely. Lord, help us to be sold out completely to you in all that we say and all that we do. And as your spirit examines us, as your spirit shines the light on in our lives, help us to be willing to say, I'll toss that out, Lord. Go to him individually. Go to him as a body of Christ now. And let him just search and seek in your life. And then let the spirit lead you. Lord, we trust at this moment your spirit is moving and working. But we also know and love that conviction, though it hurts, is one of your greatest tools you've ever given us to love us. Thank you for loving us enough to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, give us ears to hear what the spirit is speaking, and then ears to not only hear it, but also just the willingness to be obedient to it. We stop and we thank you, and we lift this up in your name. Amen.